This is Africa Digest. Hello and welcome to Africa Digest on Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. We are in Johannesburg in South Africa and on frequency 9625 kilohertz on the 31 meter band to Southern Africa. We are also on Channel 802 on the DSTV Bouquet. I am Spumela Lezoni. This is John Lelantulo has your news. On Lelantzinti has your economic news and Neto Chimane has your sport. Your top stories. SEDEC engaged in an effort to build understanding in election processes, democracy and governance. Research shows that the engineering sector is still isolating women. In economics, Zimbabwe ranks 31st out of 53 countries across Africa in BMI Research's latest operational risk index. And in sports, Kenyan President Uhuru Kenyatta signs the 2016 anti-doping amendment bill in Tulo. Here's Cholana Tulo. Thank you, Spumalele. Good morning. An armed man has taken control of a cinema in the German town of Wenheim. Reports say that German police have surrounded the building. A number of shots have been fired. Reuters reports that several people have been wounded. The identity of the gunman is not clear at the stage. The World Health Organization says it will launch emergency yellow fever vaccination campaigns along the border between Angola and DRC and in the capital, Kinshasa, next month. The worst yellow fever outbreak in decades has killed about 345 people in Angola, while Congo declared an epidemic in Kinshasa and two other provinces on Monday after reporting 67 confirmed cases. In a statement, WHO said the campaign would target areas within 100 kilometers of the border where there are high levels of cross-border movement and trade in order to create an immune buffer and prevent further spread of the disease. WHO said the campaign would begin in July. South Africa's ruling ANC mayoral candidate for the Tswani Metro, Togoti Deza, has appealed to residents to seek peaceful means to resolve their differences. She was addressing the media in Johannesburg, where the ANC introduced its Gauteng mayoral candidates. The ANC's decision to replace Hosi and Tsuramokopa with Didiza has sparked violent protests in Tswane, resulting in the deaths of five people. Didiza says she will build on the successes of her predecessors if she is elected mayor. I hope going forward we'll be able to find a way to find strategies of how we could resolve conflict where such conflict may arise without necessarily destroying the very assets that will actually benefit our communities. When people have got uh, some little issues, sometimes they will say things that are out of turn. One of the functions of leadership is being able to rise above those. These are the communities that one will have to work with continuously, and together with them, we will make Tswane a better metro for our province, but also for our country. Meanwhile, Health Minister Aaron Mozoledi has rejected claims that tribalism is at the root of violent protests against Dogoti Diza as the party's mayoral candidate for the Tswane Metro. Some residents have claimed that a Zulu cannot rule over Bedis and Zongas. Mozoledi says ethnic concerns have never before influenced appointments. He believes that the protests are motivated by what he calls politics of the stomach. 
the, the real issue, I believe, is that people believe I've grabbed onto something and it must never go away. If it goes out, if, if somebody new comes in, I'm going to lose. Where has it ever happened that, that something like that happens, that when a new premier comes in, uh, everybody loses their job, or when a new minister comes in, or when a new mayor comes in? What is going to happen if Ramukhopa finishes two terms because he can't do a third term? Are we going to see another war? where they are saying he must not go. So it's, it's something that cannot just be accepted, but the demon of tribalism can never be allowed to rear its head. The African Union is seeking to end child marriages in Africa and has stepped up campaigns to eliminate the practice. Gambia is the latest country on the AU spotlight where a nationwide campaign was launched by the nation's first lady. The campaign is aimed at ending child marriage by means of supporting and advocating legal and policy actions in the protection and promotion of human rights. Many African countries have already denounced the practice of child marriages and committed their support to working with the African Union and UNICEF in eradicating it from their communities. And finally, Medical Aid Group Doctors Without Borders or MSF says nearly 200 internally displaced persons, including children who had fled attacks by Boko Haram in the northeast of Nigeria, have lost their lives at a camp in the past month. The MSF made the announcement in a statement on Wednesday, citing the lack of food and dehydration. Ongoing clashes between Boko Haram terrorists and Nigerian troops in the country's northeast have reportedly aggravated food and health crisis, the food and health crisis in the region. According to the United Nations, the refugees in Bama are among the 1.8 million Nigerians forced from their home and living inside the country, with another 155,000 in neighboring countries. For Channel Africa, I'm Jolani Tulo. It is 17.06 Central African time. Now, in an effort to build understanding in election processes, democracy and governance issues in the SADC, regional commissioners are muted of coming up with a memorandum of understanding during the workshop underway in Zimbabwe. EFC SADC, a regional election body, is holding its fourth meeting in Harare since its formation in 1998 in a bid to improve management and administration of elections within SADC. During the presentations in Harare, election commissioners presented were urged to deliver credible polls whose results are correct reflections of the will of the people. Yes, Simon Chama. In a bid... To deliver credible elections in the region, Elections Commission's Forum of the SADAC countries, ECF SADAC, is holding its fourth training workshop in Harare, Zimbabwe, to educate new commissioners. The SADAC Forum has been in existence since 1998, but have so far held three training workshops aimed at improving elections in the region. Meanwhile, Regional Director of the International IDEA AWA Professor Ademayo Olukoshu aided new and old commissioners present at the workshop to be professional. The populace. And in this age of communication with social media, with the traditional media, with um, microphones that can pick what you say from 1,000 kilometers away without you realizing it. You think you are whispering to somebody and a microphone is picking it (laughs) across the road and and you are being quoted as having said something which you didn't intend for a wider audience. Communication skills become really very important. 
what is said, how it is said, when it is said, and to whom it is said constitute an important part of the menu of skills which we feel are important for election managers to acquire. Legal skills without being a legal, a Queen's Council. <laughs> yeah? It's not everybody who will be Justice Macarau. There's nothing you can do uh, to bamboozle her with the law. But most election managers are not lawyers, and they don't have a legal background. But they need to know the electoral law, at least sufficiently. President of the regional body, Justice Rita Makalao, explained the purpose of holding such workshops at a time when some member states are accused of rigging elections. You are bound to make a grievous mistake without realizing it. And the purpose of this workshop is actually to understand not more what we have to do, but why we have to do it that way. It is my understanding that these three days training will introduce you to the mechanics, principles, and good practices in election management and equip you with the necessary knowledge and skills to carry out your new responsibilities with integrity, professionalism, transparency, and accountability. This workshop will, I hope, also provide a platform for the cross-pollination of ideas, peer learning, and peer review, which is the bedrock on which ECF SADAC is founded. Justice Rita Makarao, who is also chairperson of the Zimbabwe Elections Commission, added that Zimbabwe is improving election management through the introduction of the biometric voter registration. This is aimed at legitimizing elections in the country and fellow SADAC members were aged to follow suit. Biometric is a system that also, in, apart from capturing just your, your data like your age, your sex, your address, it also captures your facial image. It also captures some of your biometrics, uh, including your fingerprints. So it's a way of um, making the data uniquely yours because it includes your picture and it also includes your fingerprints. Management of any election on the continent is tricky considering the process is regarded as a do-or-die affair, Professor Ademayo Olokushu said. Because as Justice Makarau said uh, correctly, elections being what they still are on our continent, um, former President Obasanjo said it's a do-or-die affair. It's a do-or-die affair. Uh, as election managers, irrespective of your background, you manage a situation in which you don't hold 100% of the aces. You can only control what is within your control. You cannot control the behavior of politicians. And in many parts of Africa, politicians hire their own militia. They have their militia. Armed thugs who are waiting in the wings to make a mess of everything you have, you have done. And being able to have that savvy, that political judgment, without being a politician, but being able to exercise that political judgment to say, where do I intervene? At what point do I call them to order? Where do I apply sanctions that are allowed within the law? Um, ECF SADAC was formed in 1998 in a bid to improve management of elections in the region to avoid conflicts. 
The training workshop being held in Harare is aimed at strengthening management of credible elections whose results reflect the will of the people. Reporting for Channel Africa in Harare, Zimbabwe, this is Simon Muchemwa. South Africa's ruling ANC mayoral candidate for the Tuana Metro, Togo Didiza, has appealed to township residents to seek peaceful means to resolve their differences. She was addressing the media in Johannesburg, where the ANC introduced its Gauteng mayoral candidates. Didiza says she will build on the successes of her predecessors if she's elected mayor. Local government elections take place on August 23rd. There have been widespread protests in townships around Tuane this week following the ANC's announcement of Didiza as their mayoral candidate. At least five people have been killed, Didiza elaborates. There's another question that was raised which had uh, not been answered by the leadership, which is very personal. How does one feel about the latent incidences? Surely, I must say that it is said that our communities, no matter at what level, of disgruntlement can engage in acts of violence and destruction. And I hope going forward we'll be able to find a way, working with the leadership in our communities, to find strategies of how we could resolve conflict where such conflict may arise without necessarily destroying the very assets that will actually benefit our communities. How I feel? Wow. I'm not sure whether it's an issue of one's feeling. As I said that I'm actually a resident of Tswane. I don't feel foreign. And therefore, there is no way that I can feel aggrieved. Obviously, in public office, when people have got uh, some little issues, sometimes they will say things that are out of turn. But one of the functions of leadership is being able to rise above those. These are the communities that one will have to work with continuously, and together with them, we will make Tuane a better metro for our province, but also for our country. That was South Africa's ruling ANC mayoral candidate for the Tuane Metro, Togo Didiza. She was speaking at a media briefing in Johannesburg. Across the globe, every second, there's always a breaking story. Culture and Joy for Channel Africa Radio in Ethiopia's capital, Addis Ababa. For Channel Africa, I'm Lillian Strobach, reporting from the ICC in The Hague. Reporting for Channel Africa, I'm Hilda Kekeloa in Zambia. Our cutting-edge and hard-hitting journalism leaves no stone unturned, giving you the whole picture every time. George Muhango. Channel Africa, Blantyre. This is Lansana Fofana reporting for Channel Africa from Freetown. Reporting for Channel Africa in Harare, Zimbabwe, this is Simon Muchemwa. Reporting for Channel Africa, this is Moki Kinzeka in Yaoundi. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese, and Chinyanja, informing the world about Africa. in Lesotho. Reporting for Channel Africa, Konyo in Nairobi. Join us every day and know what is happening around you. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. 
1715 Central African Time right here on Africa Digest on Channel Africa the voice of the African Renaissance on Twitter we are on Channel Africa 1 that is Channel Africa Numerical 1 on Twitter now research shows that women feel isolated within the engineering profession and it seems more pronounced for the few of them who reach the top in the setting of the engineering industry the concern amongst others is under discussion at the Women in Engineering and Innovation Workshop underway in Johannesburg. The two-day event, which started today, is organized by Insight Training Consultants, a South African accredited training company with collective industry experience. For more on this issue, here's the company's operations manager, Andrew Mwila. Basically, we were looking at uh, the number of uh, ladies in the engineering uh, sector. That's uh, the engineers and uh, scientists. So we actually found that uh, there were very few. And then we thought of uh, coming up with this idea of actually coming together and looking at the challenges that are there. Why is it that there's uh, fewer women? Actually, even when you look at the high positions, there are less females there. We wanted to actually make sure that we encourage uh, other young girls and then sit together as engineers, the ones who are in those uh, sectors, and see what challenges they face and then try to unlock them. Now, one of the main points uh, to be considered um, in the discussion is, of course, as you've mentioned, the underrepresentation of women in the sector. How bad is the picture, really, Andrew? And what are some of the reasons, you know, for the young people, particularly females, um, not really getting into the sector? Well, I think uh, basically it's uh, because of uh, the number of girls that are taking sciences that's uh, early on in life. And then at the same time, uh, in our context of uh, African culture, they are finding that uh, girls are leaving school at an early age, so they don't have a chance to pursue those careers. Even when you do pursue a career in engineering, for example, you might be a mining engineer and uh, you are on maternity leave, and then there's a problem. Actually, before they even make you a mining manager, they will look at you, you are female, one of these days you come and you'll be on maternity leave or so, so they won't even consider you. So there's not so much that uh, one can speak of in terms of the role models or the people who are actually pulling up ladies to come into the sector. So most of the ladies shun that kind of uh, environment also because, uh, again, when you look at uh, salary structures, uh, you find that the same type of work is being done by a male and female the male will be getting more money at the end of the day. And it's always interesting um, to get the male perspective um, when women do come out, you know, with this sort of dissatisfaction. Now, Andrew, as a man yourself, you know, uh, we know that the engineering sector is one that has been male-dominated, you know, for decades now. What is the main problem when it comes to the men themselves, you know, allowing uh, the women to also take center stage? Well, uh, I think... uh this uh, has been a culture for some time. So you are finding that uh, they are getting very uncomfortable. In certain organizations or mines, they don't even have female locker rooms. They only have uh, one-sided stuff for males. But then at the same time, I think as we go forward, it would be ideal for people within the Sadiq region or Africa as a whole to just uh, embrace the changes and Actually, it's believed most of the organizations that are run by females in Africa are very successful. The little that are run by, the few that are run by females. So even if we, if we were to bring more women into the engineering sector, we perhaps might just get it right with our infrastructure 
and uh, looking at how we are moving in terms of our emerging markets, we will need to do a lot of infrastructure work and so forth. So with the ladies in France, it could probably yield better results than we have had in the last uh, 50 years or so. And just uh, finally, before we let you go, Andrew, today also marks National Women in Engineering Day. Let's reflect a bit on the significance of this occasion. The significance is that obviously for us as an organization, this is going to be an annual thing. So we'll be trying to, once we, we've uh, deliberated on the issues today and tomorrow, then we'll look at ways of uh, coming up with solutions and then meet again to see if uh, our targets are met if we can have more ladies going into schools to actually promote the sector and then to see also if uh, governments also can make a deliberate policy to allow more women going into, into your higher education to do your engineering courses. Andrew Mwila is the operations manager for Inside Training Consultants talking to Zukona Misode. The third annual Africa Manufacturing Indaba gets underway in Johannesburg, South Africa next week. The event aims to affirm government and industry strategic focus to revitalize and reindustrialize South Africa's manufacturing sectors amid intense challenges. This year's theme is Manufacturing the Future, with the aim of showcasing and exploring the ideas and technologies that can make the country's manufacturing economies competitive in the global arena. More from the Executive Director of the Manufacturing Circle, Philippa Rod- Rodseth. I like the name of the theme very much. It's quite clever. It's got different spins and meanings. What it really talks to in a general way is that we need to plan forward and we need to look ahead as far as manufacturing is concerned. But what's also nice about the title is it depends on the emphasis and how you say it. One could say manufacturing the future. In other words, manufacturing is playing a role in making the future. And then you could also say manufacturing the future. So manufacturing is the future. And it talks to the role of manufacturing and technology and what this holds for us in the future. So it works on a lot of different levels. South Africa's economy is under pressure on several fronts and business confidence is at low. What are the challenges that the manufacturing industries face during this time? There are challenges for the manufacturing sector, both on the demand side and on the supply side. On the demand side, that's got to do with who is buying products. And from a global economic point of view and a local point of view, economies are struggling. So there is less demand for products. And then on the supply side, that's everything that goes into assisting the manufacturing industry. And there you've got issues like input costs, which are increasing. That could be materials or labor, issues with security of electricity supply, and also labor stability. So there's quite a lot of challenges on both fronts for manufacturing. What does the economy depend on in the manufacturing industry? Well, the economy in South Africa, there are different things that we could look at doing to generate economic growth and manufacturing can assist in supporting that. If we can look to increasing 
are exports from a manufacturing point of view. In other words, manufacturing here and exporting for growth, that could assist us growing our economy. And then also what we can look at doing is where it makes sense and where it's competitive if we can buy South African local manufactured products, both private sector as well as the public sector. That's another way to grow manufacturing, which in turn can help to grow the South African economy. Because if you make things and you make a tube of toothpaste for example, you've got to then package that toothpaste, you've got to distribute it, and there's a lot of, we call it the multiplier effect, a lot of spin-off effects and, and positive impact. And the manufacturing Indub has identified small businesses as one of the key focus area for this year. Please elaborate more on that. At last year's Indaba, quite a few of the participants were medium-sized companies and a lot of the panel discussions focused on the issues and opportunities faced by those companies. Small businesses, however, have very specific challenges. In the manufacturing context, difficult to start a company, difficult to integrate into existing supply chains. And this is because generally there are quite high barriers to entry in manufacturing. If you're going to start manufacturing something, you get an order, but then you've got to purchase the equipment so that you can actually honor that order and you also need to buy the materials and that's got working capital implications. So there are quite specific issues that concern small business and small business is an important component in the manufacturing sector because businesses link to larger supply chains and also small businesses have the opportunity to grow and become larger businesses. So it's definitely an area that we don't want to lose out on. Will the conference be able to link Africa's businesses and international businesses to work on a bigger scale. We have a specific panel session that is dedicated to Africa and business opportunities in Africa and exports into Africa. So definitely the Indaba will be looking to that. Please give us details on how interested young entrepreneurs can get involved in the conference. Probably the best would be to either access the website, email or phone. The website itself is www.manufacturingindaba.co.za Email is info at manufacturingindaba.co.za The way that the Indaba is structured is that it's possible to register to go and have a look at the exhibition and that doesn't cost anything. So if a young entrepreneur is looking to just get a sense of what's happening in manufacturing, that's probably a first good point of departure. And then in terms of registering for the conference itself, it's possible to register for the SME in Darba, which takes place on the first day on the Monday or the larger conference itself and that takes place over the following two days. That is Philippa Rodseth, Executive Director of the Manufacturing Circle, talking to Sihle Zuma. Concern continues to grow about the spread of yellow fever in the Democratic Republic of Congo. The country's health ministry has declared a yellow fever epidemic in three provinces. As Elizabeth Litecha reports, the World Health Organization says it will launch emergency yellow fever vaccination campaigns along the border between Angola and the DRC next month, where millions of people are at risk of contracting the disease. DRC this week declared a yellow fever epidemic in three provinces, including the capital Kinshasa, after confirming 67 cases of the disease, with another 1,000 suspected cases being monitored. Health Minister Felix Gabanga said only seven of the proven cases were indigenous to the Central African country, while 58 were imported from Angola. Now there are fears of the disease spreading further in DRC. 
Kinshasa is the primary concern for global health officials since it has a densely packed population of more than 10 million people and poor health care infrastructure. But the World Health Organization says it has been working around the clock with the Ministry of Health to keep the disease in its tracks, focusing on things such as vector control and better surveillance, as we hear from Dr. Sylvie Briand, Director of Pandemic and Epidemic Diseases at the UN Health Body. The first thing is that to do better surveillance so that we can detect where there is yellow fever transmission. And this is critical to know where we need to control the outbreak vector control because yellow fever is a disease transmitted by mosquito and is the same mosquito as uh, the one transmitting Zika. It's an Aedes aegypti. Vaccination and we can uh, vaccinate people and it protects the population against the disease is the best tool we have currently is vaccinate people treating the severe cases. We don't have a specific treatment for yellow fever but definitely good case management helps to reduce mortality. Large epidemics of yellow fever occur when infected people introduce the virus into heavily populated areas with high mosquito density and where most people have little or no immunity due to lack of vaccination. In these conditions, infected mosquitoes transmit the virus from person to person. Yellow fever has been raging since last December in Angola, especially in the capital Luanda, killing more than 300 people in the country and infecting over 2,000 others. Dr. Brian says with a shortage of vaccines, it's a race against time to ensure that more people get the jab. The strategy has been to uh, increase uh, vaccination in endemic countries, but this initiative started only 10 years ago. And so now... Some countries in Africa have been protected. We have vaccinated 100 million people in the past years in in West Africa. But there are still a lot of countries, endemic countries, that are not completely protected. And so uh, we need to scale up this. The current outbreaks of yellow fever in Angola, DRC and Uganda continue to place great demand on the global supply of yellow fever vaccines. The global stockpile of 6 million vaccines for emergency response has already been replenished twice this year. The WHO is now considering using a fifth of the standard dose of the vaccine in a desperate move to stretch out supplies should the current outbreaks get worse. The question on many people's lips is whether the vaccine will be just as effective when a lower dose is used. Reporting for Channel Africa, I am Elizabeth Lidira in Johannesburg. And it's time for your news headlines. Here's Chola Natulo. Thank you, Spumelele. Making headlines, a masked gunman has been shot dead by Germany's elite police force after he opened fire in a cinema complex in the western town of Wernheim near Frankfurt. The World Health Organization says it will launch emergency yellow fever vaccination campaigns along the border between Angola and the DRC and in the capital Kinshasa next month. And finally, South African Paralympian Oscar Pistorius has told British television his murdered girlfriend Riva Stienkamp would want him to devote his life to a charity rather than be sent back to prison for killing her. For Channel Africa, I'm Jolani Tulo.
This is Channel Africa, South Africa's only official international public radio station on shortwave, internet and satellite. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese and Chinyanja. Informing the world about Africa, Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. 1731 Central African time. The food crisis resulting from the severe El Nino-induced drought in the Southern Africa development community that is SADC is getting worse. This is according to the latest El Nino situation report released by the World Food Program, or WFP. An estimated 41 million people in the SADC will be... F- food insecure rather from june 2016 to march 2017 wfp's communications officer for southern africa david Orr. well these assessments for which we've recently got the results were conducted by governments and partners including the world food program in the various countries some of the assessment results are projections but for the most part we've got some hard data from the countries affected by drought, and it gives a a pretty grim picture. The figures were released by the Southern African Development Community, SADAC, and they indicate that in the SADAC region, there are 41 million people who are now facing hunger during the coming lean season from October until April next year. And of those, 33 million are facing food insecurity in the drought-affected countries of Southern Africa. So it's a serious situation, and I'd say probably the worst levels of food insecurity in the region for more than two decades. Yes, speaking of levels, Southern Africa has now been categorized as a WFP Level 3 corporate response with immediate effect until 13 September this year. What exactly does this mean? Well, this was basically initiated by our headquarters in Rome to help us respond to the levels of need in the region in terms of resourcing and capacity, getting more staff and so on deployed into the countries affected and into our regional bureau here in Johannesburg. But as you know, Four of the countries have declared drought disasters in this region. Mozambique has declared a red alert. South Africa, I think eight of the nine provinces have declared drought disasters. So there is widespread concern. And of course, countries are now appealing for international humanitarian assistance to respond to the extensive needs in the region. Now, did this assessment look at um, attributing factors to the worsening situation, especially considering that there have been various calls as if just made for stepping up of humanitarian response by governments and aid agencies. Why is the situation not improving? Well, these assessments are done on a regular basis. The most recent assessments, plural, were conducted post-harvest in, in the region. Some are still ongoing. They point to uh, an extreme level of need as a result of not just one year of drought, but two consecutive years of drought. Mm. The most recent, as you say, caused by the El Nino weather event, which meant reduced rain for this region. That is the the principal cause of the high levels of of food insecurity now. And we have a looming La Nina weather event. Well, that is largely a good thing in the sense that it will likely bring increased rainfall, and that can be only good. Of course, there is a risk 
of flooding. But I think we should look on the positive side and realize that this is going to bring much needed rain for the farmers in the region. And lastly, David, the WFP has been at the forefront in response to the food security crisis in southern Africa. But the organization is now experiencing a funding shortfall. This is true. We have a we have a massive funding shortfall of Uh, More than 84% of our planned operations in the region are underfunded. So we really need to get the resources to be able to meet the huge needs in the countries affected. David Orr is the communications officer for the United Nations World Food Programme in Southern Africa, talking to Jane Rabotata. The IMF Executive Board of the International Monetary Fund, IMF, has approved 76.8 million U.S. dollars disbursement to Malawi. This follows the completion of the 7th and 8th reviews of Malawi's economic performance under the program supported by an extended credit facility arrangement. This means that Malawians have reasons to smile with such news considering that the economy continues to stagger. George Mohanga has the details in this exclusive report. The IMF decision enables the immediate disbursement of 76.8 million, bringing total disbursements under the arrangement to 169.1 million. The IMF also approved Malawi's request for an extension of the current extended credit facility ECF arrangement to end December 2016. This also includes an argumentation of access of 49.2 million US dollars or 25% of quota. The requested extension would give the authorities more time to achieve objectives of the program while the additional financing will help to strengthen response to the El Nino-induced drought which has caused a humanitarian crisis. Statistics show that real gross domestic product growth declined sharply due to floods and drought in 2015 and is likely to drop further this year owing to the region-wide El Nino-induced drought. President Peter Mutarika agrees that the nation needs assistance to deal with El Nino and drought shocks. This after he declared state of disaster four months ago. In most areas, especially in the southern region, were receiving sporadic rains, interspersed with prolonged dry spells, resulting in the drying, scorching, and permanent wilting of crops. These prongs dry spells have resulted into severe crop failure, particularly in the southern region and parts of the central region. A poor maize harvest for a second consecutive year has placed half of the population at risk of food insecurity. Short-term risks that could arise from adverse weather conditions, lower global demand for Malawi's exports and policy slippages continue to weigh on the outlook. The IMF board also approved the authorities' request for waivers of non-observance of performance criteria related to net domestic borrowing by Malawi and net international reserves. The three-year ECF arrangement for Malawi in the total of 144.4 million was approved on July 23, 2012. While the public held the decision by IMF, they want other organizations such as World Bank to resume aid to Malawi. The country definitely needs assistance. So it would be a very good move if we got assistance and if the money was to come in the country, it would be a very good idea if the money was uh, distributed wisely instead of just 
keeping it to themselves because most of the times we've noticed that it doesn't go exactly to the people who are suffering. But we should also make sure that our government uh, is accountable for any kwacha that is uh, in its purse. Economists and IMF, however, say that Malawi's macroeconomic situation remains difficult, reflecting weather-related shocks and past policy slippages which contributed to persistently high inflation. IMF officials say the near-term policy mix should center on reducing inflation by combining tight monetary and fiscal policies. The financial body asks that, to this end, expenditures should be limited to available resources and monetary policies should aim at maintaining positive short-term real money market interest rates. World Vision, a humanitarian organization, has since zeroed in to ensure that food items are provided to the needy. Watson Kafweku is the National Deputy Director. Right now, World Vision Malawi with, the, with WFP, we have been uh, responding uh, to about 2.8 million people uh, altogether, but of course we've been targeting about 600,000 people with food and cash. So our budget has been about $17 million in food and cash. And you can imagine that now from 3 million to we are going to about 8 million people that are going to be affected by uh, the, the drought uh, that we had in the past years. At this time, the IMF board has also hinted that accelerating the implementation of public financial management reforms is indispensable to building trust and confidence in the budget process and ensuring control over fiscal operations. Strong commitment controls, routine bank reconciliations, and regular fiscal reporting remain critical to preventing potential misappropriation of public funds and reviewing donor re-engagement. Thus, according to IMF, Malawi's finance and economic minister, Guru Gondwe, says Lilongo is discussing with other donors to help Malawi with material support and like direct mental assistance, which, according to him, is proving to be difficult to get. Possibilities that uh, they can purchase things for us without passing through the government channels. Uh, that is also being uh, looked at. We will see how it goes and whether the cabinet will uh, agree that we can go ahead. But business commentators feel time is ripe for the country to deal with some financial allocations that are draining taxpayers' money. They cite the farm input subsidy program, which is simply called the fertilizer subsidy. Lewis Chiwalo is a business and economic commentator based in Malawi's commercial capital, Blantyre. You are well aware that uh, we are living in a country which is actually the poorest country in the world. Fifty years down the line, we've got nothing to show. What it means is that, you know, we did not have policies which could have articulated, you know, this kind of, you know, factors like, you know, uh, the private sector being given incentives so that they should be able to grow. Based on the 2016-2017 government financial plan, President Mutarika has ruled out the possibility of donor support. Authorities want Malawi to be self-funded, having learned bitter lessons from the public plunder of public resources. As the budget session continues, fingers are pointing at diversifying the country's economy for more economic gains. And with the donor freeze, lawmakers approved a motion that seeks to allow the growth of industrial Indian hemp last week. The crop, according to Parliament, would replace tobacco which is facing a black future. Malawi has had no donor inflows because major funders withdrew aid due to the plunder of taxpayers' money in 2015. Lilongwe lost 150 million US dollars from donors in the public plunder, which has seen various suspects arrested, jailed, 
and convicted. However, most former senior government officials in the then government of Joyce Banda are still engaged in legal battles to ascertain their innocence. With this approval of funds by the International Monetary Fund, it is yet to be seen whether Malawi is moving towards the right direction of tightening its monetary and fiscal policy. George Muhango, Channel Africa, Ilongwe. This is Channel Africa, South Africa's official international public radio station on shortwave, internet and satellite. My name is Sipa Hot Sticks Mabuse, a South African musician and an African artist for that matter. You are listening to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Pambi. My name is Yvonne Chaka Chaka from South Africa, but Africa is my home. You're listening to Channel Africa. The voice of the African Renaissance. My name is Habida, an African artist from Kenya, and you're listening to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. It's time for your news headlines. Here's, no, it's time for your economic news, rather, and <laughs> not your news headlines. Here's on it and since with your economic news. Thank you, Spoo. Now looking at your economics news update, Mozambique's state-owned airline, LAM, has said it will suspend flights to the Angolan capital, Luanda, from July 1st, blaming financial and operational difficulties. As government struggles with a debt crisis that is crippling the economy, LAM, which is undergoing a restructuring, said in a statement that flights on the on route would resume once market conditions improve. Mozambique has run up more than $2 billion US dollars of private debt deals. Zimbabwe's Wangwe Colliery Company is considering cutting a third of its 3,000 workforce as part of measures to revamp the loss-making coal mine. Deputy Minister in the Mines Ministry, Fred Moyo, told Parliament on Wednesday that Wangwe, which has been making losses for more than a decade, would cut overheads, trim its workforce, and assert a meeting with creditors next month. Wangwe produces 150,000 tons of coal a month, and Moyo said the company was working to double the output by the end of the year. The IMF Executive Board of the International Monetary Fund, IMF, has approved over 70 million U.S. dollars disbursement to Malawi. This follows completion of the seventh and eighth reviews of Malawi's economic performance under the program supported by an extended credit facility arrangement. This means that Malawians have reasons to smile with such news, considering that the economy continues to stagger. George Mango has the details. The IMF decision enables the immediate disbursement of 76.8 million, bringing total disbursements under the arrangement to 169.1 million. The IMF also approved Malawi's request for an extension of the current extended credit facility ECF arrangement 
to end December 2016. This also includes an argumentation of access of 49.2 million US dollars or 25% of quota. A poll by Ipsos Mori says 52% of British voters will opt to remain in the European Union, while 48% will vote to leave in a referendum being held this Thursday. The pound rose against the US dollars after the reliable poll was published, reaching a six-month high. The poll was commissioned by the Evening Standard newspaper as Britain's vote in their millions to decide the outcome. And finally, South Africa's Small Business Development Minister Lindy Wezulu has pointed out that South Africans face a serious challenge of access to financial institutions like banks. She was addressing the second National Information Business Summit aimed at uplifting the informal economy. The minister says 95 million rands has been set aside for informal business people. This matter will have to focus on creating not just employment opportunity for the youth, but to bring youth into business, because that would help us twofold. One, it will help us to transform the economy of our metro and bring in new players, particularly the youth. And I was very happy to see the generation of interest and readiness to participate. And we take a look at your financial indicators. The U.S. dollar is trading at 14.68 to the South African rands at 10.70 Botswana bullas and at 11.01 Zambian kwacha. It is also trading at 0.68 to the British pound and at 0.88 to the euro. And in your commodities, gold is trading at $1,265 and platinum at $971 per ounce. The price of Brent crude oil is quoted at $50.18 a barrel. For Channel African News, I am Onelensinsi. Thank you very much on LS time for sports news. Good evening, sport fans. I'm Neto and ETO Chamane with the latest sport updates at this hour. Kenya President Uhuru Kenyatta on Thursday signed the 2016 Anti-Doping Amendment Bill into law. This clears the way for the World Anti-Doping Agency to review Kenya's compliance with its code. WADA's Compliance Committee had ruled that Kenya was non-compliant when its board met in Montreal, Ghana in May this year, citing issues related to the anti-doping legislation that had been hastily passed by Parliament in April. Kenya, an athletics giant, missed two water deadlines to show it is tackling cheating in sport. The country won 11 medals at the London 2012 Olympics and topped the table at the World Championships in Beijing last year with 16 medals. But the country has become mired in doping and bribery allegations, with more than 40 athletes failing drug tests since 2011. WADA placed it on a watch list of nations at risk of breaching its code and gave it until April the 5th to comply.
Dates for the funeral rites for former Super Eagles coach Stephen Keshi have now been fixed for the 27th to the 29th of July 2016. That's according to a statement released by the Nigerian Football Federation. The statement says there will be a night of tribute in Abuja, Lion State, church service and novelty football match in Benin City before the final burial in Ila, Delta State, which is the ancestral home of the big boss. Keshi's children praised the efforts of the Nigerian Football Federation, the government's of Edo and Delta states and the global football community since the death of the legend on June the 8th. Vera Powell, the head coach of South Africa's senior national women's team, is confident that her side will reach the knockout stages of the 2016 Rio Olympics Games. That gets underway in less than two months in Brazil. The Netherlands-born coach, whose Banyana Banyana side are in camp for friendly matches against highly ranked USA in the United States early next month, is upbeat about the future following the recent tour to the Netherlands where her team played two games against the host and lost both matches by slim margins. All countries want to play us and want to pay everything for us even to get us out, Um, although now we have no time anymore. But I hope that momentum we will carry after the Olympics um, and that this project will not stop at the Olympics because um, we've come so far. This is just a station in between growing towards the top level. We have the talent, we just need the experience. South African athlete Stephen Mokoka won a gold medal on day one of the African Senior Athletics Championships at the Kings Park Athletic Stadium in Durban on Wednesday night. He ran a tactical race in the 100 men's 10,000-meter finals to defeat the Kenyan Wilfred Kimite in 28.02.97 seconds to claim his first African championship. Mokoka started the race unconvincingly, but his final kick in the last stretch was overwhelming for the Kenyan runner. Mokoka says he's improving and lips and bounds. For me, I can say, uh, my, okay, I see that my, my last kilometer has improved. I managed to run a 235 today on the last K. Uh, all I need is to be able to, to, to run around 230 so that I can be competitive in the world. So I'm hoping that my coach saw that and then we'll work on that because normally I finish like 245, 240, but I managed to break five seconds. So I just hope we can work on another five seconds. I know it will take longer, but if I can work on that, I'll be able to be competitive in terms of the world stage. Springbok prop Tendaim Tawarira says the team is still a work in progress and will get better in time. The most kept Springbok amongst the current group believes that valuable lessons have been learned by the team in the past two tests of the Castle Lager incoming series against Ireland and that they are ready to deliver their best performance at the Nelson Mandela Bay Stadium in Port Elizabeth on Saturday in the series deciding test. Uh, I think there was no trouble really. It was just a couple of uh, we just went to sleep a little bit on their ball. I think on our ball was going really well. So something that we want to keep on improving. Uh, I think those are, yeah, we just uh, we thought the ball was out and then the ball was in and then they kept on scrummaging and then you know we had uh, loose forwards up. So it's something that we really been working hard on. We have to yeah keep on scrummaging until the ball is out. So it's a small thing to fix and I'm sure we'll be much better this weekend. Yeah. That's your sports at this hour. Stay tuned on Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. This is Africa Digest.
It is 17.54 Central African Time. Let's recap our top stories. SEDEC engaged in an effort to build understanding in election processes, democracy and governance. Research shows that the engineering sector is still isolating women. And that wraps up Africa Digest for this hour. From myself, Pumala Lezwandi, producer Luanda Maume, technical producer Catherine Malik, and the rest of the team, thank you very much for listening. You can send us emails. We are on info at channelafrica.co.za. That is info at channelafrica.co.za. And SMS, we're on plus two seven seven nine six nine five seven nine three zero plus two seven seven nine six nine five seven nine three zero. You can also tweet us on channel Africa one. That is channel Africa numerical one on Twitter. We leave you with Sipogazi with Ebutland.